This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Thank you and good morning. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for that warm introduction. I've gotten to know Kevin just really in the last few years, and it's been a joy. It's been a blessing. And, um, you know, he's probably less than half my age. I'm not sure, but uh, we I've got socks older than he is, okay? <laughs> but it's, a, it's such a privilege and an honor, and I mean that sincerely, for me to be here with you this morning. I know a lot of you know your faces, if I don't know your names, uh, in the 37 years, actually, that I've been in this county, um, you see a lot of people and you get to know a lot of people. And I know some of you are just wonderful, powerful, life-giving followers of Jesus Christ, and that's what I admire about you. Um, got to know Kevin just about three or four years ago before, as he was coming to, to start praying and thinking about launching this campus and or this uh, this church. And... Um, I don't know if, maybe I'm stepping out of bounds here to say that we think a lot alike. And I'm, I'm honored to be able to say that because um, we bridge that generation gap in a lot of ways. And we, we share some of the same passions and some of the same thought patterns when it comes to ministry and, and what it means to be a church. As Kevin said, uh, retired or refired, as I like to call it, a couple of years ago. And uh, started this new ministry called Live Again Ministries. Our lesson today comes from Luke 15. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But it's about the shepherd who goes in search of one lost sheep. And I think that parable epitomizes more than anything what I believe God has called me to do with whatever years I have left. And that is to be a searcher of lost sheep. And that takes you to a lot of places. And as Kevin said, sometimes to other places in the world. But also locally, we do some things. One of the things we've been doing the last couple of months, and, and I have no idea how we got involved in this. I would never have guessed this in, in a million years. But we're involved with a little homeless camp on the south side of Charlotte that uh, 12, 15 people, depending on which day you're there, have lived there for several years in tents. They're homeless and they're addicted mostly to heroin, some of the, the worst kind of addiction that you can have, and they've been doing it for years, and, and they're into the high-potency heroin. So we've been ministering there, and we've uh, gotten to know several of those people. And honestly, a little boy from rural Montgomery County never imagined that he'd be working with homeless people, homeless addicts in an urban setting. I mean... Is God crazy or what? I mean, really. So anyway, I want to, sh- I want to share a couple of those stories as we go along. But um, the message today has to do with entitlement. Entitlement is an enemy of thankfulness. It sabotages thankfulness. Entitlement, uh, we usually associate with entitlement programs. Government entitlement programs, they're called. And they're called entitlement programs because 
they're really based on the preamble to our Constitution, which says that we're all entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that we're all created equal and all of that. And, and sometimes there's inequality in life and society. And so these entitlement programs, for example, with senior adults, help them to be more equitable in terms of their lifestyle. But, of course, entitlement programs get a bad rap, too, don't they? Because they come to be associated, right or wrong, and the perception is often that, that people start to feel entitled as if the world owes them something because they are of a particular age group or a particular ethnic group or a particular segment of society. So entitlement programs often do get and have a bad rap. But entitlement, in that sense, is an enemy of thankfulness. And we're going to celebrate thankfulness in just a few days, aren't we? Thanksgiving. You're all looking forward to that, I'm sure. And looking forward to uh, family being together and the big meal and the football games and all of that. And uh, by the way, for the first time in my memory, the Detroit Lions will be playing a meaningful game on Thanksgiving. (laughs) So um, I'm pumped about that. I hope you are. Um, But here's here's something I want us to think about as we... um, as we get into this passage, and as we talk about all of these things that, uh, that make up entitlement, and as soon as I can find the place where I'm supposed to be, um, here, here's something to think about. Entitlement. Is it possible that religious people, such as ourselves, also grow to have a sense of entitlement, as if Somebody owes us something because we are children of God. As if God himself, God the Father, owes us something because we are his children. I want us to think about that question as we go along. Um, In the Bible, we see evidence of this. There are times when people say, well, I have great faith, so God owes me great blessings. The children of Israel, they were the chosen people, remember. They were God's chosen people, and they came uh, at various times in the Old Testament. They came to understand and believe that God owed them something, that they were people of privilege, that he was going to bless them more than he blessed other nations. What they forgot was that they were chosen in order to be searchers of lost sheep. They were chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. And when they started turning in on themselves... And becoming entitled, as they thought, to God's blessings just for themselves. This is when they fell into idol worship. And they fell away from God. And so God would, through prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah and all the others, He would bring them back. He would come with a message, thus saith the Lord. And Isaiah, as as Kevin mentioned so beautifully, Isaiah was one who came to understand that. This was a revelation to him when God said, I am holy, 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 but you are a man of unclean lips. You're not entitled to anything. And so we look into this passage in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And here is, um, here's the way it reads. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the religious people, 
complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them this story. And really it's uh, one of three stories, two others that, that will follow this in the same chapter, just one right after the other. But this one begins this way. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go in search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now that word wilderness I think needs some explanation. Some translations say open pasture. Wilderness is, uh, is not always the wilderness that we think about in modern times. Wilderness was simply desert. But remember in the 23rd Psalm what the shepherd did to prepare for the sheep and to make sure the sheep were taken care of. He would lead them beside still waters and green pastures. He would prepare a table for them. This was not a table such as we have at Thanksgiving. It was a table land. It was a, a meadow of green pastures. And so this table would be prepared for them. It was good pasture. That would be my paraphrase or translation of that word wilderness. He left them taken care of doesn't mean that they were free from danger because sheep left alone even in a in a flock of sheep will be vulnerable to predators and to wild animals and all kinds of things that can harm them but he leaves and he goes in search of the one until he finds it and when he has found it he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders and when he arrives he will call together his friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep and in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I want us to look at this parable from three perspectives, from three of the main characters involved in this, in this story. One of them is the sheep, specifically the 99 who are left. The shepherd starts out with 100 sheep. One of them strays away, and that leaves how many? 99. I just want to see if you're paying attention. 100 minus 1 is 99, right? So um, 99 are left. What is their perspective? What, what, is the, what is there about the 99 that they're even mentioned at all? Why does he mention specifically the 99? Well, in verses 1 and 2, it says this. Just to read it again, or to paraphrase it again, it says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners were coming to Jesus. And they, this meant that Jesus was heavily criticized because they believed this was scandalous. He was scandalously associating with sinners. And so Jesus turns to the scribes and Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, to the religious leaders of his day. This is the context. He is speaking directly to them. Now here's what I will conclude for you as you go through this. I think you'll come to the same conclusion. But I'll go ahead and tell you up front that the 99 represent the religious establishment. So the shepherd leaves them. And he leaves them in good pasture. I mean, they're well taken care of. If they had this sense of entitlement, they are getting it. Because they are blessed. And they are privileged. And they have no needs to speak about. But here's what, uh, what's going on here. What, what was going on in the, life of, in the religious life of Jesus' day was that the religious people had a sense of entitlement. 
And so when it, comes to, when it came to blessing God and, and thanking God, they were deprived. And they deprived God of this, pre- this privilege. And this is why Isaiah, for example, when he said, cried, holy, 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 that was such a, a unique thing because nobody else much was doing that. And by the time of Jesus' day, religion had become such an organization and such a cold and heartless organization that there was very little room left for thankfulness to God and praise to God. So he leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one. It always made the religious people angry when Jesus met and ate with publicans and sinners. Publicans were tax collectors, the the worst of the worst sinners in, in that day. And so this always made them angry. In fact, they became so indignant that they wanted to kill Jesus, which, as you know, they eventually did. Now, religious people, why do we have any sense of entitlement? The only thing that, that God ever says that we are entitled to is a cross, is a cross. Remember Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, what? His cross and follow me. That's what we're entitled to. We're entitled to become searchers of lost sheep. We're entitled to, to find uh, our place in the, in the world in, in dangerous places and risky places until we search those who are lost. In John chapter 13, <clears throat> John tells a story that happens in the upper room near the time of Jesus' arrest, and he's with his disciples. And listen to what it says in John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So Jesus has it's been established that he has supreme authority over everything. And then it says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped it around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet. Wash the disciples' feet. When Jesus understood that he was the most powerful person, the most important person in the room. What did he do? What would would we expect a king to be entitled to? To a crown and a robe and a throne. But Jesus does just the opposite. He takes off his robe, his outer garment, and he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets on his knees and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. When Jesus realized that he was the most important person in the room, He became a servant. And this is the model for us. Not a sense of entitlement, but a sense of understanding that we belong to God and He is our Heavenly Father and we are to give Him thanks. And we are to give Him praise as we serve Him. And then let's look at it from the standpoint of the shepherd. First of all, when the shepherd who has gone in search of the lost sheep, brings the sheep back. He takes it back not to the 99. He takes the lost sheep back and he calls his neighbors and friends and they have a party together. They celebrate. Now, I think there is something revealing in here. I know these are just sheep, but I think these sheep represent people. That's what the parable and that's what the story is all about. Even in the next one, which is about a lost coin, 
I think the lost coin represents people and how important anything that is lost and anyone who is lost is to God. And he brings the sheep back and he calls his neighbors and friends, not the religious people, but those who knew how to celebrate and how to give thanks and not those to whom they had a sense of entitlement. But the shepherd, what about the shepherd? Is there any sense of entitlement with him? When you're on the low socioeconomic scale as the shepherd was, it's very difficult to have a sense of entitlement because he, he couldn't feel entitled to anything. Maybe the only thing that he really wanted and expected in life was just to have a good night's sleep. That all of his sheep would be enclosed somewhere in a protective place and, and he could just get some rest and have a peaceful night. The shepherds were the low, lowest of the low when it came to the economic scale. On a scale of 1 to 10, if 1 was the, the best job you could have and 10 was the worst, shepherds were probably about a 9.5. That's how far you know, on the scale they were. And that gives us even more reason to, to celebrate what, Jesus, uh, what the birth of Jesus and the announcement of his birth was all about. It came to the shepherds, to the lowly shepherds to those who weren't entitled to anything except the announcement of the birth of Christ. And so the shepherd goes in search of the sheep. All he wants and all a shepherd ever wants is just a peaceful night. And then he, at the end of the day, he counts the sheep. 97, 98, 99. Oh, no. One is missing. Let me count again, he says. And he goes back and he counts again. 97, 98, 99, but no 100. One is missing. Drats. Now I've got to go in search of this lost sheep. I've got to, to put some things together on my four-wheeler and, or on my, which would be a donkey, you know, a four-hoofer four maybe. And so he puts some belongings together and some supplies and he, he has to head off. And don't you get a sense that there's an urgent need here? I mean, the longer a sheep stays lost, the greater the danger. This little homeless camp we've been going to, we go on Saturdays, not every Saturday, but every third Saturday or so, and we take uh, the guitar and we just sing some songs. A young man goes with us and leads just in a few songs. We have a short Bible lesson, 10 minutes, because... Their attention span is not very long. We go about 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning after they've had time to get up and be sick and get their fix. And so we have uh, seven or eight that will come. We let them know in advance we're coming. We also take a hot meal, chili or soup or something, coffee, sweets. They love sweets. And we just, just spend some time with them, maybe two hours at the most. The first week we went, two nights after we were there, one of the ladies, young ladies, 35 years old, called and said, I want to go to detox. I'm tired of living this life, and y'all have given me some hope that life can be better. And her name is Megan, and she's in about her third or fourth week now of rehab in a facility uh, just outside of Winston-Salem. Pray for Megan. She has a long road ahead of her. Another man that we met and got to know, his name is Tony. After we had gone the second time, 
he said that day, he said, can you drive me to get some help today? I'm tired of living this life. And so we drove him down to Monroe and checked him into the detox center. He was there for eight days, eight nights. And we thought that maybe there was hope that he would go on to rehab, but he chose to go back to the camp. We're still hopeful, still hopeful for Tony, so pray for Tony. There was a young lady there the last time we went, about two weeks ago. Her name is Amy, 36 years old. Amy, this was the first time we had met Amy. She, had, she comes in and out of the camp. Her, she said in her own words, her mother, my mother will let me stay at home and come back home anytime I want to. And so when things get tough here, I, I go back home and have a good night, good place to sleep and food. And Amy was concerned about everybody else in the camp, especially a young man named Tommy. She was concerned that he go ahead and, and take that step and go with, uh, with Tony that day to rehab or to detox, but he wouldn't and still hasn't. Amy really touched our hearts that day. She was so articulate. She was so vocal. She was so adamant about everybody else getting help. I asked about one of the young ladies who had been there before named Tiffany, and, and she described what she did in some very colorful language, what she did to, to make money in order to feed her drug habit. And she said... Uh, Mary Magdalene was one of those people too, wasn't she? And I said, well, you know, there's some dispute about that. And rather than getting into the argument about what Mary Magdalene was, I started talking about the woman caught in adultery. And I said, Amy, let me tell you about this other story of something that Jesus did. And I told about the woman caught in adultery who was brought to Jesus. And so... The woman was there, and they were ready to stone her, and they brought, him, brought her to Jesus and said, the law of Moses said that we're to stone her. And Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all dropped their rocks and their stones, and, and he wrote something in the ground, and he turned to the woman, and he said, where are your accusers now? No one is here con to condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I said, Amy... Jesus did not judge and condemn this woman. He gave her an opportunity for a better life. He gave her a hope that life could be better. Go and sin no more. Go and make a better life for yourself. And I said, Amy, you can have a better life for yourself than this. And she hung her head and she said, I know. I know this is a terrible life to live, but I'm just not ready right now. Exactly a week later, we got the word that Amy had died of an overdose. You see, when the shepherd goes in search of the lost sheep, there's always a sense of urgency. We've asked ourselves the question, if we had just talked to her some more, if we had called her you know, a night or two later or a day or two later and talked to her some more, could we have made a difference? There's always this sense of urgency, this sense of great need when there are lost sheep. Maybe you have someone in your family who is a lost sheep. Maybe you have been one of those lost sheep. Never give up on them. It is urgent that you do something, that you stay with them, that you not give up on them. And this is what the shepherd is doing. There's nothing glamorous about what he's doing. 
he could have uh, he could have copped an attitude and said, you know, I'm entitled to a night's sleep here. I don't have to go. It's just one. It's just one. And the owner of the sheep, he won't miss just one. Maybe I can just fool him into thinking that there are a hundred here. I mean, he's not going to stop and count every one of them, is he? He could have had that kind of attitude of entitlement. But instead, he understood the powerful need of searching for this one lost sheep, even though it was only one. If we can't save the world, we can save just one. Amen? We can save just one person. If we learn nothing else from this story, it is the focus on the one. Reach out to one person. I mean, the needs are just overwhelming out there in this world. But reach out to one and make a difference in one. So that's from the perspective of the shepherd. What about the lost sheep? What is it like to be a lost sheep? Maybe some of you understand that better than others. I I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. I mean, I wasn't into drugs or women or or alcohol at 10 years old. I just realized a need for, for a Savior. And I became a Christian, and I strayed away because you can be lost in the house as well. I became a Christian at age 10, but didn't always live a Christian life. The second parable is about a woman who lost a coin in her house. Sometimes we can be lost in the house of God. But the lost sheep, what is it like to be a lost sheep? I had an old friend who said that that most sheep don't just decide one morning they're going to get up and and go to, uh, you know, a far country like the prodigal son did, which is the next story. They're not going to go and they're not going to make that decision to pack up their belongings and say, I'm entitled and so I'm going. I mean, that's what the parable of the lost son is about. He was entitled to his inheritance, and he said, I want to take it, Father. I want to go and, and use it for myself right now. And so he goes into the far country, it says, and he spends it all, wastes it all. But most sheep, this old friend of mine used to say, don't get lost all of a sudden. They nibble themselves lost. And they just start eating the grass, and the meadow gets bigger and bigger and they see some grass over here and they go over there and the next thing they realize is that they're lost now if it's a lost person which the sheep represent there's a sense of fear and panic and I think that's why my friend Tony in the homeless camp wanted to go to detox that that day because he was starting to panic that his life was going to be over real soon if he didn't do something and turn his life around he just wasn't ready but we haven't given up on Tony And you pray for Tony. But the shepherd is searching for the lost sheep. If you look at the prodigal son story, which is in verses 11 through 32, the one with which we are probably most familiar, if you are familiar at all with the New Testament, he has squandered everything, wasted all of it. No inheritance left, no money left. He's feeding with the swine. And he comes to himself and he says, I will arise and go to my father. I'm making a conscious decision to go back home. But then he realizes, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to sit at my father's table. But he goes back. And you know the story, don't you? 
the father sees him at a great distance and he runs to meet him and he falls on his, on his, uh, falls on his knees and he welcomes him with open arms and he kisses him on his neck and, and he says, uh, bring some new threads for my son. Let's, let's kill the fatted calf and have a barbecue. Give him some jewelry. Dress him up. My son who was lost is now found. There was no sense of entitlement with this lost sheep, not the prodigal son. He said, I am not worthy to be at my father's house. Do you think he was thankful? Absolutely. He was thankful that the father welcomed him back because he didn't expect this blessing. He was this man of unclean lips. He was not worthy to be at the father's table, but yet he welcomed him back. Now I think the father had another lost son. The elder brother, the one who had been there all of this time. And the distance that he had to go, even though it was short relatively in terms of geography, was probably further than the prodigal son because he had this sense of entitlement. And he thought that he was entitled to all the father's blessings. In fact, he he complained that that this younger brother who had been lost and, and wasted everything was getting a party that he never got in all those years of faithfulness because he had a sense of entitlement. He couldn't even celebrate the the younger brother being found and coming back home and being thankful because of his sense of entitlement. Entitlement is an enemy of thankfulness. It sabotages it in every area of our lives. You notice something in common about all three of these stories? There's one thing that is common to all three of them. A party is thrown at the end. A great time of celebration. The shepherd, when he finds the lost sheep, calls his friends and neighbors together. The woman calls her friends together when she finds the lost coin. She had nine other coins, but one was lost. Again, the importance of the one. The father, when his son came back home, he throws a huge banquet, a huge party. And that's what's in common with all three. We can be thankful that God celebrates our homecoming that much. In fact, it says that there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99 who have not repented and have not seen the need for it. If we say, I will love you if, that's conditional love, isn't it? But God says, or the scripture says about God, that he so loved the world that he gave. If our, if our love is based on that condition, it is a toxic kind of love. But if it's based on the fact that God has given us something and we just receive it, not because we're worthy of it, not because we have deserved it, but because of who God is, and that's who God is, that He loves us so much. And God has created us in His image. And the way we are restored to that image, even though we have strayed far away from it, is through what He has done on the cross with Jesus Christ and that is he gave his own son so that we might have life and life everlasting 
that's from the perspective of the lost sheep. And the lost sheep has a sense of thankfulness when he is found. In Luke chapter uh, 17, verses 11 through 19, there's another story which is, will bring us toward the end here. It's a story about, and I'm just going to recap it. Jesus is uh, headed toward Jerusalem and he goes through a village and he sees a, a colony of ten lepers. Leprosy was a terrible disease. It was like the HIV AIDS of, of the first century. And so the people were ostracized and isolated and they were not allowed to get within a certain distance of somebody without leprosy. In fact, they were told to warn someone. And so that's what they did. But they said, Lord, have mercy on us. And so he says, go and show yourselves to the priest, which is what you had to do when you were healed so that the priest could declare that you're healed. And so they go and on the way, their leprosy disappears. And all ten of them come back and give thanks, right? No, just one, just one. Jesus said, why, only, why did only one come back? And this was a Samaritan, this was an outcast. This was someone who did not have a sense of entitlement. So we assume that the others, the other nine who did not give thanks, are those with that sense of entitlement. I deserve to be healed because I am a chosen child of God. But the Samaritan who had no such illusions comes back and gives thanks. Entitlement is an enemy, is an enemy of thankfulness. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks for you. I have a wonderful wife. I have two great children. Some of you know my daughter, Jennifer. And so I'm so proud of all of them. And, and every time I think of them, really, I appreciate them. I give thanks for them. Does that mean that they always give me reason to be thankful? Absolutely not. I mean, I raised two teenagers. Does that tell you anything? So um, here's the point. Sometimes they can annoy me, to be honest. Don't mention that, Karen, to Jennifer. Uh, sometimes they can annoy me, but I always give thanks for who they are and for their existence. That is a sense of thankfulness because I didn't deserve such a great family. And we don't really deserve the blessings that we have. We think that as Americans we have this sense of entitlement because we are Americans. We deserve all of these things. That's the fallacy of the prosperity gospel. But, but here's the point. Entitlement sabotages our thankfulness. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for the shepherd who searches until he finds us. We thank you that all of us have been lost, different degrees of lostness, but all of us have been lost. We thank you for finding us, Lord, for searching, and also being so persistent as all the three in the story were, searching until you find us, and then welcoming us home when we return and celebrating our return. Thank you that you are a loving Heavenly Father. Thank you for being who you are and loving us 
just the way we are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is an invitation we're giving to you this morning, and that is an invitation. If you are one of those lost people, and there are different places where you can be lost in this world, you don't have to be a drug addict in a homeless camp. God is calling you and inviting you to come and give you reason to be thankful. Give you reason to be thankful. Also, you can be thankful that God is loving and persistent, that He never gives up, that no one is beyond His reach, that we never give up on anyone. No one is a lost cause, including you or anyone that you know, maybe a family member or friend who just seems as if they'll never find their way back. But God loves you, and He will continue to love you until you come back. Take those steps today.